WebmasterRadio.fm. Make an impact on your interactive marketing through performance, advertising, community outreach, and technology. Be captivated by the people who are leading the wave of change in the online marketplace. This is who AdTech is. Your weekly radio show. Get behind the scenes with industry giants. Be privy to the insider track. Witness the newest technologies. Make sure you're in the scene each week with AdTech Connect. You're connected now with your host. Hi, this is Susan Bratton. Hey, how do you like my new theme song? My producer, Mark Winter, must have been very busy over the last week. And uh, thank you, Mark. I love it. I really appreciate it. I've been lamenting, if this is the first time you joined the show, about the fact that there aren't any good songs, any kind of rock songs or anything like that, that have the name Susan in them. And so I had kind of a, you know, lame intro for quite a while. I've been doing this show for months and months and months. And... uh, I've been always jealous of Katie Kempner's show. She has a show on Webmaster Radio as well that's really fun and kind of rappy. And so it sounds to me like I have a new intro that I absolutely love. Thank you so much, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, We have a show today called Marketing Mashup. Um, It's a mashup because there are two conflicting things happening on this show. Lots of conflict. Not really. Um, It's just that the ANA released a new study on something called IMC, yet another TLA, three-letter abbreviation you need to know if you're in the digital marketing business. IMC means Integrated Marketing Communications. And uh, they just launched or just released the results of this new study on IMC at their Masters of Integrated Marketing Conference in New York. And uh, here are three interesting tidbits that came out of it that really relate well to the show this week. First of all, the first first thing is 67%, that's a lot, 67% of marketers develop integrated marketing programs across most or all of their brands, but only 33% of them say they're happy with their efforts. They also stated that general advertising, 30%, of the people said general advertising adds the most value to a company's marketing communications programs. However, this is a dramatic decrease compared to the 2003 survey, they did this three years ago, where 51% of marketers ranked it as most important. So general advertising is diminishing. But surprisingly, trends thought to be hot, such as video game advertising and mobile marketing, were viewed as least significant to the marketing mix. So we have two guests on today, one that comes from one side of the world, uh, the integrated marketing communications world, and that's Hunter Hastings, who is the managing partner of the EMM Group. And we have Jonathan Epstein, the newly announced CEO of Double Fusion, which is an in-game ad network company. So we're going to find out what those two think about some of these new uh, results of the new study on IMC. Uh, Today's topics will include enterprise marketing management, that's what EMM stands for, advertising in the gaming world, how marketing will save itself, we're going to talk about that with Hunter, we're going to talk about Morton Bay Bugs, so I'd be interested to see if you know what that is, and we're going to talk about measuring customer engagement. So let's get on with the show, I'd like to bring Hunter on, good morning Hunter, how are you? Good morning Susan, I'm very well, thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. Great. Thank you so much. I don't know if you had heard my introduction um, about the ANA's uh, new study on IMC where they said that 67% of marketers develop integrated marketing programs, but only a third of them are happy with the efforts. 
I was hanging on your every word. Aha, uh-huh. fantastic. Well, you know something about The New Marketing Mission. That's a book that you, uh, you recently wrote. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Published by the ANA. And you're very tight with them, I know. That's your, that's your business. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, we'll come back to your book, The New Marketing Mission. Um, you originally started out as a brand person, a marketing and brand person at Procter & Gamble and Stroh Brewery, right? Yes, yes. I'm, a, I'm an old marketer, Susan. I started at Procter & Gamble in the U.K. Uh, 30 years ago. And so I've watched marketing uh, advance from where it was then, when packaged goods were very much the the setter of the the marketing standards uh, to where it is today, where I think a very different set of rules applies. And when you got out of the brand business with P&G and Stroh, you were a founding member of Ryan Partnership up in Connecticut, correct? That's correct. Uh, Connecticut was sort of a a, uh, breeding ground for marketing consulting companies. Uh, A lot of us left Procter & Gamble and started to apply some of that intellectual property in other parts of the marketing world, and uh, four of us, including Dave Ryan, started Ryan Partnership as uh, a new paradigm for integrated marketing where advertising wasn't necessarily dominant, and we were much more focused on integrating around the consumer, whatever the consumer was looking for in integration. I think about Ryan Partnership as being a promotions company more than anything else. It seems like that's, that's what the bulk of the business is at Ryan. Well, promotion is a is an interesting word. Back then, it was sort of the non-advertising. Mm-hmm. We were trying to, to change a paradigm where uh, most companies back then depended on their advertising agencies, not just for advertising, but they felt that the advertising agency was uh, staffed with uh, professionals that gave uh, strategic advice as well as, as uh, advertising advice. They had good analytics and so on. Uh, and the rest of the marketing mix tended to be neglected. And so our flag was about, hey, let's have the rest of the marketing mix have the same uh, impact and credit and quality and intellectual uh, acceptance as marketing. And so that was, that was uh, the way that we approached the issue. So, yes, people classified us as a promotion company, but we were really the whole marketing mix, but just taken from a much more integrated point of view. And isn't uh, one of Ryan's, Ryan Partnership's big clients Unilever now? Um, yeah, I believe it is. I'm, you know, it's, it's uh, 10 years since I've been there, so I'm not mm-hmm. up to date with our current client list. But, yes, I think it is. Yeah, uh, they're close by in that same market. Right, right. Um, and so then you were at Ryan, and you decided to, I, I think you decided to go to uh, start a new company uh, called Imperative, and that's how the, EMM, the EMM group came out of that. Is that the story? That's correct, yeah. I came to the, the West Coast, and uh, I became the... CEO of a startup company, which was trying to apply uh, the new digital processes and, and some other kinds of innovative techniques to marketing. And ultimately, we were funded by Procter & Gamble and Accenture to take uh, marketing intellectual property, so processes and techniques and analytics and, and ways of, of managing marketing in a scientific fashion and put that in software that could become the, uh, the heart of how a company manages it's marketing from insights to planning to execution to measurement. And that was the company called Imperative. And that's E-M-M. That's right. The first three words were cleverly E-M-M for Enterprise Marketing Management. So we were trying to create an acronym for the industry, a TLA, as you said in your introduction. Right. That was the equivalent of ERP. ERP was Enterprise Research 
planning software, but it became the acronym for supply chain. Mm-hmm. And which we were trying to make back then the acronym for the demand side of the corporation and make that uh, equally as as uh, foundational as the supply side. So if, if integrated marketing communications, IMC, and customer relationship management, CRM, had a baby, it would be EMM. Is that kind <laughs> of the, how it works? Well, that's, that's, that's uh, a novel way to look at it. Yes, CRM is really the first attempt to take uh, software and scientific method to, uh, to the demand side, but it lacks one big piece, and that is content. It's, uh, it was originally conceived as fun, kind of a, a uh, transactional or functional kind of, of software like software on the supply side. But software on the demand side has to have content. It's got to be creative. It's got to have digital media. It's got to have the interaction of the, the customer or the consumer. So it's a much different phenomenon than transactional supply side software. It took the industry a, a while to understand that. And then integrated marketing communications is the content part. Um, and that, that science is coming a long way. I, I was interested in the statistics that you cited from the the ANA study about the levels of satisfaction yeah, um, that, that advertisers have or marketers have, but really that's not the issue. The issue is uh, what is the level of satisfaction that the customer or the consumer has, and uh, we can define that as engagement, how engaged are the customers, and then we can measure the effectiveness of engagement, and then we can correlate that with financial results, with market share or uh, revenue growth or whatever the appropriate financial result is. So your keynote at AdTech Chicago on July 25th is entitled, How Marketing Will Save Itself. And the meat of your presentation is about measuring this customer engagement. So uh, tell us the story of that. Give the the customers who aren't going to be at AdTech Chicago a little understanding of your approach to uh, ways they can measure customer engagement. Let me give you a, just a little bit of preamble. One of the wonderful things about ad tech is that it is a community and there is continuity in the way the community advances uh, the science and the methodology of, of advertising and marketing. So Ted McConnell from, uh, from P&G set out uh, a kind of a manifesto at uh, a recent ad tech. Yeah, last about- year Chicago about the future being around customer or consumer engagement. And where that comes from is that there are a couple of new phenomena that we have to deal with in the new media world and the new integrated advertising world. One is the addressable consumer, i.e., uh, we can find them by uh, email or by uh, a, a, the behavior that we can track through behavioral targeting and so on. We can, we can address them or we can target them by their behavior. Second is that consumers have choice in the, the media that they choose. So that's a, a reversal of the flow of traditional advertising. Instead of reach, you're looking for engagement. I, instead of broadcasting, you're looking for the consumer to make a choice. And so the result of that is engagement, that the measure of any effectiveness of an integrated campaign is how much the consumer or the customer is in the equation. Do they subscribe? Do they ask for more? Do they put their hand up and say, yes, uh, I'm interested? It's that level of engagement. So all the old metrics of marketing and integrated advertising approaches tend to look at uh, the outreach part. They're about gross rating points or reach, uh, those kinds of measures. Engagement has to look at how much is the consumer putting up their hand and saying, 
I'm engaged in this, I like this, I, I want to be part of it, I'm choosing it. And so what we're going to do at AdTech uh, in Chicago on the 25th of July is talk about the measures of engagement. And the measures have got to be defined by the customer. Um, they can be weighted between different uh, vehicles, different marketing tactics, and engagement can be measured as an absolute. It can be measured as a share of engagement, i.e., how well are you engaging compared with your competitors? It can be trended, and it can be correlated with results. So does share of engagement correlate with market share? And in the early studies to date that uh, we'll share, there's a correlation up around 0.8, i.e. very, very high. So those are the kinds of, of numbers and metrics we'll be sharing at, uh, at AdTech. Okay. So the correlation of engagement, if you can track engagement, that, that easily transfers to market share. Yes, in fact, there are two ways to look at it. One is, uh, does it correlate? And so far, the data says yes. And then you can say, for my brand or my company, how well do my scores correlate, which tells you how efficient you are at converting engagement into revenue, which is the ultimate test of marketing. We want marketing to be a, a growth-driving, revenue-driving uh, discipline, not just communications, but it drives growth which is what businesses are all about in the 21st century. They've, the supply chain is fixed. It's done. It's efficient. It's hard to improve it. It's the demand chain that we have to improve, and that's marketing's job. So if you're saying that the measures of engagement are defined by the customer, how, can you think of a, a product or a service in your mind and use that as an example of the different types of engagement measures that might be tallied up to indicate the percentage of engagement? Yeah. Well, take, a, take an automobile, for example. Okay. That's an area where, as everybody knows, the whole uh, marketing and sales uh, landscape has changed. About 95% of consumers in the U.S. who buy a, an automobile have been on the web before they go into the, uh, into the showroom. And that changes the transaction. They're a much more uh, informed consumer and they can negotiate price and features and things like that in a much different fashion. So what engagement would do would track them through the process of buying the car, which might be a very long uh, process. What is the role of, of TV advertising, image advertising? If you're in the UK where it's highly developed, what was the role of interactive advertising where you could click and ask for more information? What was the role of the website, the uh, automobile's website and maybe Edmunds or some third-party uh, <clears throat> provider of information? What was the role of the interaction with the salesperson in the showroom? You can measure all of those things. You can, you can uh, list in priority order which were most important, which had the most influence over the sale. You can do that for different parts of the sales funnel, i.e. The, the part where the consumer is searching for information and the part where they're actually negotiating the sale. You can look at the effect in combination, so which two or three of those was most important in combination, the TV ad plus the website plus the salesman uh, interaction. And you can track the correlation between all of those associations and the ultimate sale. So now you're dealing with all media in an even uh, landscape, a single currency. So the website can be, can be evaluated exactly the same as the TV ad as the sales encounter. And I don't think it's ever been possible to do that before in old models like market mix modeling. And do you, ha you have some kind of a 
the EM, the EMM group has your own software that you lay into a corporation to be able to get this rationalization of touch points to score it? Uh, yes, yeah, so it, it, this is a, a multi-sourcing world, uh, Susan, and so uh, what we offer to the, the corporation is the enterprise software, the enterprise marketing management software. That manages the whole marketing planning process end-to-end. We manage the, uh, the best practices of how to build integrated marketing campaigns, as an example. And then uh, we, have, we license certain forms of, uh, of data to do the uh, engagement measurements, and they're integrated. The data is integrated into dashboards within the enterprise marketing management software so that marketers can manage individual campaigns using the data. Uh, directors can look across uh, comparative campaigns between brands, and senior management can look at the efficiency and effectiveness statistics, like how well is my whole company doing at converting engagement into sales. So it's a, it's a systemic way of looking at marketing from uh, the very top, how's the whole company doing, to the very bottom, how are individual campaigns or even individual media doing. So there's the software piece of it, which you know we can intellectualize, uh, but there's really this silo-busting part of the discipline that is the consulting part of your business that's probably the hardest to accomplish, is because one person owns the website and one person owns the media and one person owns channel programs and one person owns the retail stores, and is that where you run into your most difficult work? Well, it's a, it's a perspicacious question, and the, the solution is a holistic one. So we've talked about a couple of things today. We've talked about metrics, yep. and we've talked about technology, software. The yep. third piece in the holistic solution uh, can come under the heading of organization. Yep. And as you say, one of the problems with uh, the way marketing has developed in the last few years is if you created those silos, and it's hard to communicate across them. And so what you need is a new organizational vision where you organize not by structures, who reports to whom and who has the budget, but by process. How do we all work together to work horizontally across this process from uh, targeting the consumer, understanding the consumer, creating the campaign through the integrated media choices that we've just talked about, measuring that campaign. And so, yes, we, we eliminate silos by creating organizations horizontally. How do people work together using software and using metrics, um, but that is, it's, a, it's a very hard thing to break because um, people tend to think about how they work in a corporation as who I report to and what budget do I have as opposed to which process am I in and what's my responsibility in the process. So that's, that's where change management comes in. That's the fancy consulting word for how you go from today's state to tomorrow's state. But like everything else in marketing, we're on a new S-curve and this is part of the new S-curve, working in different fashions. Well, the S-curve is part of what you're going to talk about when you do your keynote at AdTech Chicago. Your, your keynote title is How Marketing Will Save Itself. So what's the premise of that? Well, the, the concept of the S-curve, as I'm sure everybody who's, uh, who's listening to this knows, is that at the beginning of new innovations, you have a lot of uh, struggling for standards. You get at the middle of the S-curve when standards apply and you get tremendously productive. And at the end of the S-curve, the amount of return you get for the effort you're putting in uh, diminishes to zero because you've run out of the potential for the, new, uh, for, for the old paradigm. 
The current S-curve started in about 1930 when P&G invented the brand manager and the research department and then uh, the 50s when we got mass advertising and so on. We're all familiar with that. The new S-curve is just beginning, and that's the addressable consumer. It's the consumer in control. It's digital media, and it's the kind of engagement that we're talking about. And what you get at the middle of at the beginning of a new S-curve is a discontinuity. Uh, it hurts to leave the old one, and the new one's a bit wobbly, and we're at that wobbly part. <laughs> uh, but if we apply the kinds of uh, metrics, technology, and organization we're talking about, we'll get to standards, which is the middle, highly productive part of the S-curve. And so engagement metrics will be the new standards that will get us into that, uh, that stable, high productive part of the S-curve. So a lot of the people who are in, the, in ad tech land are what we call pure plays. We have a lot of traditional companies who have hard goods and services, but equally we have what we call pure plays or companies that are virtual or entirely online, whether it's LowerMyBills.com or eHarmony or whomever it is. Everything that they do from a marketing perspective is in the virtual world, is online. And so their mix consists entirely of search marketing, affiliate marketing, display advertising, sponsorship, lead gen, email. How can a company that is probably you know, less than 10 years old, often less than 5 years old, but extraordinarily successful in building a significant brand for the future, overlay or I- insert your EMM concept into their business? Does, does your concept rely on the notion that there's old school and new school, or can one start fresh with an integration of this concept into a pure play business? One of the great things about the the new world is that it's going to be open to everybody and everybody's going to have the the capability and the tools and the access. So the old world scale, um, having a huge marketing department and having huge budgets was key to success. And in the new world, that's not the case. So you said pure play, but then you listed a multiple uh, set of choices that they're able to make, email marketing and website. All online, though, purely online. Yeah, that's okay, though. So we're not making any distinctions about that. But you'll notice that 1-800-Flowers, besides what they do on the web, is also advertising on the sides of buses, and eHarmony advertises on TV. So everybody eventually will manage online and offline. But even if you're purely online, you can use the same approach and metrics it's process, technology, organization to get the best result to measure the efficiency and effectiveness of your dollars wherever you spend them. So, yes, open to everybody. Everybody benefits is the, is the vision. You have thousands of people listening to you right now, and you have an opportunity to tell them what they could get if they read the new marketing mission, how process, metrics, and technology can unleash growth. You want to talk a little bit about that? Well, yes, thank you. Um, the big picture is we're trying to elevate the, uh, the power and the uh, desirability of marketing. We, want, we think marketing is uh, the key to everything good that happens on the demand side of the corporation, whether big or small. And if you think about the revolution of the past 25 years on the supply side, it was about what we say on the book, process, metrics, and technology. Marketing has never been thought of as a process, but you've got to uh, break down steps of process before you can improve them. Now, it doesn't mean it has to be linear. It doesn't mean there's no creativity in it. People hate the process word, but we're talking about creating a business discipline here. So we talk about in the book how to define processes and how to make them better. 
And then metrics is applying numbers to each step of the process. How do I make it better, faster, cheaper, more effective? And the end of the process, how is the customer feeling about this? And then how to use technology, uh, both macro, like enterprise marketing management, and micro, like the new methodologies of engaging the consumer digitally, to uh, improve the speed and efficiency of the of the processes. So it's a it's a vision for marketing, as we say, the new marketing mission. It's applicable to everybody. It's very contemporary, 21st century. We're taking a lot of our intellectual property and making it available for free, or about 19.95 if you buy it on Amazon, uh, because we want the whole of the marketing community to think in the new way. You know, the beautiful thing about the, the ad tech community is that they really already think that way. And I think that uh, reading the new marketing mission will allow, allow most of the people who are in our business, who are running marketing programs, who are utilizing primarily online marketing, because that's what they get the budgets for, to understand how to roll all of that up and how to put in some infrastructure around what they're doing today with spreadsheets. <laughs> how to take that to the next level. How to become a more mature marketing organization. And so uh, thank you for giving us a tickler on that. And um, one of the last things that I wanted to talk to you about was um, if, you, if you listen to any of the shows that we do previously, you'll know that we don't like to just talk about tech stuff. We like to talk about fun stuff, too. And you were recently in Australia, and I recommended to you that when you go there, you eat something called Morton Bay Bugs. And I promised our listeners that we would tell them what this wonderful thing is, because we always like to give people hot tips on all kinds of random things. So do you want to talk about your recent trip and some of the delicious things you did there? Well, yes, I was in Australia, and I, I uh, did get wonderful advice from you. So we, <laughs> we took a... Uh, uh, a ferry across the bay in Sydney and went to an old place called the Bathers Pavilion, which uh, was literally that, where bathers used to uh, change and dress before they went into the bay swimming. Uh, but now it's a, it's a wonderful restaurant. And so you had told me to look out for Morton Bay bugs, and one has a vision of that, which is kind of prickly and lots of legs and feelers and things like that. <laughs> um, but I only saw it naked. I did uh, order one and eat one. And the surprising thing was you tend to think of a lobster or crawfish like thing and it's going to be sort of cylindrical. Well, this thing was sort of flat, which <laughs> I don't know whether it was a squashed bug or whether that's its natural shape. But right, it was they get flat, the shell off by running over it with their tires. Or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's right, the Australian way of catching fish. <laughs> but it was absolutely it. delicious. It was very different and you know, one thought that one was uh, definitely escaped from the Northern Hemisphere because you were, you were right there in the Southern Hemisphere in its traditions. I love it. Well, so for listeners who are headed to Australia, you know, we're doing an ad tech in Sydney next uh, February. Well, Sydney's so a fun place. We had a good time there. The Morton Bay bug should become the ad tech official mascot for the Sydney <laughs> show. <laughs> the official fish of ad tech. <laughs> the ad tech fish, I love it. Hunter, I hope, uh, I hope that you'll consider coming back to other ad techs, and we'll look forward to having you at Ad Tech Chicago to learn more about how marketing will save itself. And I know you'll be doing your book signing there as well, so people can actually meet you after your keynote. Is that right? Absolutely, and uh, I look forward to meeting everybody and happy to field questions you know, electronically, in person, or however. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We're going to take a commercial break, and we'll be back with John Epstein, the CEO of Double Fusion. Stay tuned. Sit tight and don't move. Ad Tech Connect. We'll be right back. 
Google AdSense. How do I earn from thee? Let me count the ways. Google, you enable me to show targeted ads complementing my site so my visitors keep clicking throughout the day and night. It was so easy to apply and select the ad formats I liked. Since I've discovered AdSense, I've been filled with delight. So earn more with matching ads and you too can discover how. Just visit google.com slash AdSense now. With over 30,000 clients and eight years of experience, West Host is not your basement hosting company. Starting at $3.95 a month, West Host offers the lowest price virtual private server technology in the industry, yet they don't sacrifice their world-class data center or superior 24-7 client support. Sign up at westhost.com today and get the hosting technology and real support your business needs at prices you can't find from other hosts. Westhost.com. That's westhost.com. W-E-S-T-H-O-S-T.com. When you expect more from your web host. Wow, looks like you caught another one. Yeah, thanks. That uh, makes 23 so far. You're kidding me. I haven't caught a thing yet. Really? Well, what kind of bait are you using? Same as you. Well, then maybe it's where you're fishing. What do you mean? Well, if you want to catch fish, don't throw your line out in the middle of a big lake. Take a smart look around for where the fish congregate, like over by this log. So I just have to look smart, huh? That's right. It's all about fishing where the fish are. Learn how you can fish where the fish are. Go to signup.looksmart.com. Signup.looksmart.com. Oh my god, right, I know, I don't like it. <laughs> Speaking of a girl named Susie, yeah, yeah. Speaking of a girl named Susie, yeah, yeah. Welcome to the new world, Madonna, Madonna, the hottest woman in the world. <laughs> she bounced a quarter off those buns, Madonna. Speaking of a girl named Susie, yeah, yeah. Speaking of a girl named Susie, yeah, yeah. Women love a good dancer, and they love a good kisser. I like that. I like that. Dude, you are so cool. 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 Isn't that the funniest thing, Smoocher? Speaking of a girl named Susie, yeah, yeah. Speaking of a girl named Susie, yeah, yeah. And Tech Connect, Thursday, following the Daily Search Cast. <laughs> Only on webmasterradio.fm. I always liked my name, but now I'm having second thoughts. I'm going to change my name. Now, back to AdTech Connect. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Here's your host. Welcome back. It's Susan Bratton, and we have John Epstein, CEO of Double Fusion, on the line. Hey, John. Hey there, Susan. How are you? This is Susan Bratton, and we're back with John Epstein, CEO of Double Fusion. Hey, John. Hey there. Great to be here, and thanks for uh, having me on the show. My pleasure. You're kind of you're kind of uh, in a newsy in newsy land in your vertical these days, aren't you? What yeah, with you uh, being the new CEO of Double Fusion and your biggest competitor just recently being acquired by Microsoft. Yeah, certainly uh, the field of in-game advertising uh, has a lot of attention on it, and you know, right, rightfully so. We would we would argue both uh, because of the merits of the business itself. Obviously, there's been some uh, some interesting uh, corporate news uh, with the massive acquisition, which uh, you know, in the balance, I think has been very good for the industry. Certainly good for the uh, fine executives of Massive, um, and and a validation, I think, by you know, obviously a major player as to um, the expectations for the in-game advertising market and, and what it's going to mean to, uh, you know, smart advertisers and smart agencies as we move forward. So I, uh, 
we don't always have you listen in, in in the show when you're kind of waiting to come on. You're stuck in the green room, I'm sure, and there's fabulous bagels there. Uh, but uh, one of the things that I talked about this morning was that the ANA just released a new study on integrated marketing communications, and mm-hmm. uh, they said um, that trends thought to be hot, such as video game advertising and mobile marketing, were viewed as least significant to the marketing mix. And I, and I kind of think, yeah, okay, well, so that's just because they're nascent businesses. And, you know, in, in a couple years, these are going to be pretty important things to your marketing mix if you're in the markets that can leverage it. So it didn't seem like a ton of news to me. I'm sure it's what you deal with all day. But when you read the numbers for the, the, how big the game industry is, you know, it's, a, it's a $24 billion market. I've heard it's, it's larger than the entertainment business. I don't know if that's true. You can tell me but that the revenue is going from $56 million a year to $732 million a year by 2010, according to Yankee Group. I think, okay, we're just at the beginning of this. So yeah, comment and, and, and on and all that. that. And those are, and those, are the, those are the low numbers. Now, look, it's not, it's not surprising. I mean, first of all, in-game advertising is uh, a relatively new phenomenon. Games are not. What makes this such an exciting new advertising medium is that unlike things like podcasts or video on demand where or, or even sort of mobile video streaming where the audience has to be built the audience of gamers is out there it's in force it's in you know the game machine in 70 percent of, of teenagers uh, households in the u.s there are 100 million plus owners of playstation 2 just a, a simple device alone so Games is not a new medium. What is new is, is technology like Double Fusion um, and, and Massive, you know, that, that unlocks this medium for the purpose of running ads dynamically, right, being able to change, um, to, to change the ad and to, for advertisers that, you know, don't want to be fixed in a game for a year or two, you know, to run for a weekend for the opening of their movie or run for a month around the launch of their product or do, you know, regional pricing promotion. None of that was available until... Um, about a year ago, and you know, really, anyone that's sort of tar- right now targeting the male eighteen to thirty-four category is looking super strong in this. I, I don't, you know, I think there may be a little disconnect between the agency community and the advertiser community right now, because certainly when we look at the top agencies, it's a rare, it's a rare big agency or even mid-sized agency that doesn't have a gaming, a gaming guy or girl um, on staff right now. Right, you can't. Um, you know, the, the, the inexorable logic of media suggests that advertisers want to follow where the eyeballs are, and this is where the eyeballs are of certain demographics, and it's only spreading further through the population. So you're saying that there are people on staff in, let's just say, the top 50 interactive agencies, the top 20 interactive agencies who own understanding the gaming market. Is that right? Yeah, sometimes, you know, some of them have teams. So, you know, you've got people like Dario uh, uh, Rossidi at, at, at OMD and Brandon Berger at uh, Ogilvy and, uh, um, you know, there's a great group, uh, Tim, and, and you know, other people at, at Play. Um, but I hear about new ones all the time, right? And mm-hmm. so these are people who are out on the forefront who understand, look, you know, this is new, right? The spending in this market, $56 million last year, much of that was, in fact, integrated product placements, a, a, a smaller portion of that was dynamic. But when you consider the issues of where's all this gaming time coming from, you know, it's coming out of TV. It's coming out of the Internet, right? It's coming out of other places where you would have been able to reach the, these audiences. When you consider the issue of engagement, like the previous speaker, that no one's quite sure if people are really watching TV the way they used to, whether they fast-forward or just have it on, you know, in the background. 
games, if you think about, you know, if you play games, you know anyone that does, it's a lean forward, engaged environment. People are passionate about their pursuit, and that kind of passion transfers, you know, to the advertisers that are present um, present in these games. We've got some work to do, right? The the S part of the curve, if you would, is, is, is probably not this year. It's probably you know, beginning at the end of next year and moving into 08 is when we expect to see strong growth. But... Um, you know, honestly, I think over the long haul, if you, if you just consider what people are doing with their time, um, this will get much larger than, you know, the 2010 projections, you know, five years hence, you know, in, the, in the 10 billion range. So let's go back to a couple of things you said. The first one was that there are, you know, key personnel in interactive agencies who own understanding the gaming opportunity. We saw that same thing with mobile marketing. We saw that same thing with broadband advertising. We see it with IP TV or TV 2.0. But one of the things that I've noticed is that it's taking a shorter and shorter amount of time for there to be a single point person within an agency who owns new technology and understanding and integrating it to it being spread out across all of the knowledge base or the knowledge workers within an organization. What do you see from a time frame? Will it be between going from these individual people to it's just a matter of course of the media buy to, to incorporate gaming advertising into an RFP as a standard practice for certain demographics? Uh, you know, we're starting to see it as a standard practice for, for, you know, initially the male 18 to 34 demographic, but, you know, just in passing, when you say there's the other key demographic that plays games right now is the adult female population. So we're starting, you know, the RFPs are starting to say, I want a gaming component in-game, I want a gaming component, you know, sometimes on the gaming sites, which is, you know, has, has been... Um, until you can reach through games, you know, one of the best ways to, to reach gamers, and that's happening. And, and, and already, you know, ga- the, the gaming, you know, sometimes the buying is coming through these individuals, but in other setups, they really are meant to be ambassadors, you know, to connect you uh, as, you know, the, the Double Fusion representative with the different, you know, account and media people that represent the different brands, because games are, you know, different and new, and there's, you know, games have different themes and subjects, and there's, you know, people really want to make sure that, um, that you know, they're, they're in the right games, the ones that are contextual for their product, where, you know, the audience makes sense, and sort of the new theme of the game makes sense. So I think, you know, there will be a need for that ambassadorial role, um, even as the buying, you know, sort of moves into media buying, um, you know, until the market reaches, you know, um, you know, probably in the 08 or 09 time frame, the, the size where that'll just be something media buyers need to master. So there are a lot of different kinds of gaming options, or, uh, you know, you, you've corrected me. When I call it adver gaming, you're like, don't call it adver gaming, call it, <laughs> and I'm never really sure what the heck I'm supposed to call it. What, what's the latest, most coolest no. thing I'm supposed to say? So it's, 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 it's not an either or. Adver gaming is alive and well. It's just uh, it's, it's, it's not so much of what, you know, we do or where we see the high growth. Adver gaming is where, you know, companies will have a game developed around their brand, particularly for their brand. That's the wild tangent brand. thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There are okay. leaders in that, Sky, Skyworks and others. And I think, look, that that's can be a very good way to go. What you need to do when you do that, of course, is find a way to distribute it. And, you know, as people know, in the retail games business, not everyone's a winner, you know, and, and so there's a risk associated with building your own game. What we do is work with publishers of retail games and publishers of 
well-known casual games, you know, uh, and, and what's now called advanced casual, which I'll talk about. And these are games that, that you know, have their audience or, or our franchises, and, you know, are, are, we know they're going to sell a million copies or half a million copies or three million copies or already have subscriptions of, you know, X or Y. And tech, they put Double Fusion technology inside of these games, and then, you know, through a very easy process, you know, as we say, let's have a... 2D sign here. Let's use a 3D ad, which is a, you know unique to games in this location. Let's put up a video on this TV screen that the you know that that the user's walking by. And that field, you know, we're actually showing ads inside of this virtual world is what we think of as in-game advertising as opposed to advertising. They're both good markets. They're both you know very exciting business opportunities. Um, there's something called around game, which is a subset or viewed as a subset of the overall in-game sense, and that's you know, when you're playing a game, you're not always running around in the game world. There are lobbies where you might meet and chat with other players or where you outfit your character or your car, you know, or pick up your, uh, you know, whatever your, uh, your, your, your weaponry or spells are. And, and those are other types of, um, you know, advertising opportunities where you don't, you know, there's, there's less concern about, you know, being absolutely contextual in the game world. What's important in in-game when you're in a in the game world itself is that the ads are obviously nicely visible, but that they also aren't jarring the user out of their, you know, fantasy experience or their suspension of disbelief. So there's a lot of focus on, you know, what are the right creative ways and means to deploy ads inside the game. Around game, there's more flexibility. And, and in advert gaming, you can, you know, you can do what you want. So if you were to, you know, there are a lot of opportunities for marketers, and, and I think the industry is thinking up more and more ad models, ad units, ad opportunities every day. If there were five companies that you said, listen, Mr. blank, 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 whatever, you need to be running this kind of media, and here's what it will do for you, and here's how it will move the needle better for you than the things you're doing today. Who would those companies be? What kind of ads would they be? And why would they move the needle? <laughs> Well, I think everyone should obviously uh, be trying the space and start these demographics. Let me let me try to give categories, perhaps, instead of individual companies. I think, you know, movie marketers have an increasingly difficult way of reaching their audience, and mostly they are targeted on males 18 to 34 and, to a lesser extent, females 18 to 34 for the breadth of the high-performance movies, sometimes down in the teen audience. And this audience just isn't watching TV anymore. And when you run on the web... You know, in many cases, you know, it's not clear that the trailer is necessarily being viewed. Inside of the gaming environment, right, we can offer a remarkably laser-targeted focus, right, for people to reach this demographic. Inside of mature games, in particular games rated M, you know, we, we sort of eschew the, uh, the, the, the extremely violent ones, but there's a lot of M games. There's a great opportunity for, for, for marketers of R-rated films in particular, which really have a difficulty finding, actually finding you know, quality places to reach their media. We can deliver audiences in the millions targeted to this demographic um, and, 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 and play their trailers in an environment where um, people are paying attention. Um, certainly when we think about, um, you know, automotive, right, as, as a way to make your brands relevant in front of the demographic that becomes your most important lifetime customer if you treat them carefully, you know, Games are active environments, and, you know, while there's, you know, the bulk of what you see in games right now is sort of signage and video opportunities, you know, Double Fusion can put your car in the game. We can put the car in the game incidentally. We can 
change its model characteristics over time, or we can actually integrate the concepts of product placement in media so that your car this month is the one the character's driving, and next month it might be someone else. And so that kind of ability, not just to say, hey, here's my car, let me tell you about its performance characteristics, but actually have the user experience those performance characteristics, you know, that'd be another great um, great way to, to use that. Mo- you know, mobile devices, wireless devices are all another, you know, leading category. Everyone wants to show off, you know, the new features, whether it's the MP3 player or the video support or, you know, the, the, the 9 megapixel uh, camera phone. And, you know, these are opportunities that using 3D advertising effectively, we can actually give the user those experiences inside the game environment. And that's not something you can do um, in any other media, you know. Armed forces advertising, political advertising. You know, I, we happen to think, uh, you know, as we move into election season, that those parties and candidates that are most serious about, you know, getting out the youth vote, this, this is the only, you know, reasonable means to actually show you're connected with, you know, what today's today's youth are doing. So you're really focused on the temporal aspect of this capability, and that and that's because you have the ability to manipulate that, right? That's that's where your mind is right now, and that in the ability to change the advertising. As a company, we represent both. I mean, and I think, look, the the, the temporal aspect, buying ads, buying media, as yeah. opposed to product placement inside a game, so that requires an internet connection. So, yeah. believe me, we're just as excited, you know, to do larger integrated programs that reach everyone that gets. A specific game, you know, you can, you know, these, these big games can sell six million plus units, you know, across all of the different platforms. And in, if you do an integration, you know, you can reach all of them as opposed to just those that are connected to the internet. Though over time, that those numbers become the same. With technology such as ours, the benefit we can provide is, which which hasn't been available before, is to say, hey, not only were you in four million games, when watching the connected users, let us tell you how they interacted exactly with that integration, how much time they spent, which objects they handled or touched, you know, in the game. So the technology provides certainly adds value to, to that world. And then, look, you can just do, you know, more stuff when you're deeply integrated in the game. The trade-offs are, you know, um, you're fixed in the game. So if you retire that, you know, product, that's, you know, something people don't like. Um, you have to plan your campaign significantly in advance. Um, just because of the nature of development cycles. But it's been a very effective um, means of communication, in particular for the automotive uh, industry. Um, also, wireless has done a lot of that, that stuff. And, 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 you know, we embrace it all. Our, our goal as a company is to help smart agencies and smart advertisers reach the gaming audience through the medium of games. And how that manifests creatively, you know, we, it's, it's an open book to us. Our technology has many uses. And, and we're defining the medium as, as we go, you know, and because, you know, it's just like, like in the early days of the web, we had banners and 468s were it, and we used to charge a $40 CPM, if I recall. Those were the days. Um, and, and that's not what people run now. So it's reasonable to expect, particularly in the, given the 3D high-performance, you know, compute-intensive nature of games, right. that the form of advertising will continue to evolve greatly over the next five years. You know, the good news is the audience is here today. Now, it, a lot of the a lot of our listeners have are gamers currently, and they have their mm-hmm. favorite games, games. A lot of the people who are listening today have played a computer game here or there, maybe an online game, maybe you know, the Myst 
10 years ago, whatever. What are, for our listeners, if you were, you know, a 33-year-old woman, what would be one of the most interesting games that you would recommend to her today? <laughs> what do you think oh she would like? Goodness. Well, I mean, I think there's, there's also, you know, it really depends on who that individual and the kind of games that, you know, they like to, to play. I mean, honestly, I think there's a huge opportunity in the, you know, what's called the casual or the advanced casual game space. I would look to, you know, the work being done by folks like NHN or Nexon, you know, that are releasing these large free advanced gaming portals uh, into the U.S. Uh, uh, where, would, where would you go to find that? What's the website where you can find <laughs> out more about that? It's not, it's not really. I, I go to their corporate website. They're planning a launch this summer, so I'll let them, you know, do the, the official announcement. Um, you know, look, I think uh, the, we, we like, um, I don't know if you've played Guitar Hero, right? It's on the PS2. It's not a next-gen game yet. We're playing quite a lot of that. That's a musical game. Uh, I play that a- along with Karaoke Revolution. You know, I don't know if you, if you have kids or not, if you're the 33, for the, for the 33-year-old women, if they have kids. Um, I enjoy playing those type of games, as does, does my wife, with my children, because they're not, you know, shoot them up. So I, I do that personally. Um, they're family games, they're communal games, they're social games, they teach, you know, music skills, or you just get to be, you know, um, uh, you know an air guitar expert. So, um, I was really, <laughs> I've always I was wanted really, to be an air guitar expert. <laughs> guitar Hero is great, you know, and, and, uh, and, and so is Karaoke Revolution. I think, um, you know, I, I personally um, enjoy the... Uh, there's a sort of family of games uh, called, you know, Zuma and Luxor and uh, Tumblebugs, which are basically built around this uh, similar game mechanic. That's more of a casual game play. What was the um, first one before Luxor? What was it called? Zuma. Z-O-O-M-A? Z-U-M-A. And these are, you know, these are casual games. Diner Dash, you know, if if is in the casual game space. It's from a company called Play First Diner Dash's now in its second, you know, version, and uh, was played by 50 million people, as told yesterday, around the world, which shows the compelling reach that, you know, not just retail games, but casual games can provide to advertisers, of course, just just shows the widespread nature of games. In Diner Dash, you play a flow, who is a beleaguered uh, waitress, just kind of trying to keep things going, <laughs> and, you know, you move fast, but, but you know, these, these types of games are popular with women, because it's not about a 200-hour commitment, you know, to developing yeah. your your uh, elf mage warrior, you know, it's in and out, it's 15 minutes, it's loads of fun, you know, you do progress in advance, and uh, and you're done when you're done. And, and, and if you have to quit, you don't mind, you know, it's like, I gotta go, the phone's ringing, that's, that's, that's fine. It's a new style of gaming, and equal, equally amenable to advertising as are the games you find on, on Xbox and PlayStation and, and those those environments, which, which by the way, are offering uh, a great degree of... Um, of casual gaming right now. Every, you know, the, the, the nature of games has changed, and that's what's exciting about our media. A lot of our projections are built around, you know, the traditional, if you would, boxed games market, but there's, there's a whole movement afoot to bring, you know, other types of gaming um, out to the masses, and it's finally becoming mass market, not just guys. So it sounds like uh, you're calling in from a falafel joint. What's going on, <laughs> <laughs> what's going on back there? You having falafel pizza for lunch or what? I'm in a, I'm in a paid fun in a San Diego hotel, and uh, I believe the uh, the gardening crew is out, but uh, <laughs> I had to park and take the call. So. Hey, we have to close off, uh, but we have lots of men as listeners, too, and they're busy 
all the time. What's a great game, just one game, you can recommend that they probably haven't played, that they could, you know, come in and out of as they're sitting in the San Diego airport and, you know, riding on their train home? What's your recommendation for the most fun game for the, for the men that are listening today? Um, if you're not playing multiplayer and online, I think uh, the Unreal Tournament series is always, uh, you know, um, a tremendously fun game. It is a shooter. You shoot uh, aliens and robots and not people, and you can play it by yourself and have tons of fun and, and then be done. So I, it's um, called Unreal, like N-R-E-A-L? Unreal Tournament. So there's a new, um, a, new, a new bundle pack that's coming out that will offer a bunch of the historical Unreals, and then uh, and there's a new version coming out from... Um, Midway, I would say keep an eye out, guys, for Stranglehold, which is a John Woo uh, game, which is the game successor to the movie Hard Boiled. That's going to be a great one. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Well, you know what? I think the best part of this today was learning about some of these new games. You know, it would be really fun would be for you to come on in a couple of weeks and do just a short segment of your recommendations for some of the best games. Would you like to come back and do that? Sure, we'll do. I'll be more uh, prepared for the question as well. So um, oh, no that'll be great. We can, uh, we, and, and, you know, explore a variety of genres. Because it really is about what, what kind of games you like. There's so many different types of great games now. Fun. Well, thank you for telling us that, and thanks for calling in from wherever you were. We appreciate you making yourself available to us today, John. And good luck in your first 100 days as CEO of Double Fusion. I know <laughs> they're lucky to have you. You're a smart man. You're steeped in the business and a great guy. So uh, safe travels. And this is yeah. Susan Bratton. We will be back next week with more interesting guests. Thanks for tuning in today. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.